Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of galactosemia found under the pediatric section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A two-week-old infant is brought to the emergency department because of diarrhea, poor feeding, abdominal distension, and vomiting for the past three days. Physical exam reveals a temperature of 39 degrees Celsius, cataracts, hepatomegaly, and jaundice. The mother says the only change has been that she recently began giving him milk products. Let's continue with an introduction to galactosemia. Galactosemia is caused by autosomal recessive errors in galactose metabolism. Typically, there is an absence in galactose-1-phosphate uridyl transferase, which leads to genetic defects in the stepwise conversion of galactose to glucose, and there is accumulation of galactose-1-phosphate in the liver, kidney, and brain. The incidence is 1 in 62,000 births, and the carrier frequency is 1 in 125 people. Moving on to the presentation, remember that an infant with classic galactosemia appears normal at birth, but upon being fed milk, they will develop jaundice, vomiting, lethargy, irritability, and convulsions. If there is continued feeding of milk products to the infant, then that will lead to cataract formation, hepatosplenomegaly, and mental retardation. In terms of the evaluation of galactosemia, remember that there is now widespread screening in newborns, which often leads to early diagnosis. Patients are screened for a decreased red blood cell concentration of galactose-1-phosphate uridyl transferase, or an increased concentration of galactose-1-phosphate in the serum and urine. And with regards to the differential, make sure to think about hereditary fructose intolerance, which will present with vomiting, lethargy, and seizures when fructose is consumed. Also think about galactokinase deficiency, which presents with less severe symptoms, but most commonly presents with infantile cataracts. And in terms of treatment, remember that it involves eliminating all sources of galactose in the diet. Most notably, the lactose which is present in all dairy products and sweeteners in many foods. Alternatively, patients may use a soy-based formula. And remember that although a lactose-free diet often prevents acute toxicity, Long-term complications are common, which include poor growth, speech and neurologic abnormalities, and mental deficiency. And with regards to prognosis, prevention, and complications, remember that if the diagnosis is made early and milk products are strictly avoided, then the prognosis is for a normal life. Also remember that galactosemia, along with active substance use, active untreated tuberculosis, and ongoing chemotherapy is a contraindication to breastfeeding. And finally, remember that without optimal treatment, the child remains physically stunted and mentally retarded. Many patients will also develop cataracts and rickets, and most female patients will develop ovarian failure. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to galactosemia, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 34-year-old Gravita 3 Para 3 woman presents to the emergency room four days after a spontaneous vaginal delivery reporting rhythmic jerking of the newborn's upper and lower extremities noted an hour ago. She states that the newborn has had several episodes of vomiting. The mother has had an uncomplicated postnatal course despite receiving no prenatal care during her pregnancy. Her last pregnancy two years ago was complicated by lactational mastitis eight weeks after beginning breastfeeding, and she is concerned that she may have transmitted the infection to her newborn since she just started breastfeeding him. 
She has a remote history of fencyclidine use and is currently undergoing treatment for hepatitis C infection. She was also treated for tuberculosis infection in her 20s. The newborn's temperature is 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.7 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 70 over 45, pulse is 130 beats per minute, and respirations are 45 breaths per minute. Physical exam reveals a lethargic infant, but is otherwise unremarkable. His labs are notable for a total bilirubin of 7.1 milligrams per deciliter. Which of the following is a contraindication to breastfeeding in this patient? And the answer choices are, choice one, galactosemia in the infant. Choice two, hepatitis C infection. Choice three, history of mastitis. Choice four, history of fencyclidine use. Or choice five, history of tuberculosis. The best answer to this question is, choice one, galactosemia in the infant. This newborn presenting with vomiting, poor feeding, and increased bilirubin after beginning breastfeeding most likely has galactosemia. This is a contraindication to breastfeeding. Galactosemia is a metabolic disorder caused by galactose-1-phosphate uridyl transferase deficiency, also known as GALT. It typically presents after ingestion of galactose, which is a disaccharide formed from lactose and glucose found in breast milk. This leads to galactose-1-phosphate buildup in the brain, kidneys, eyes, and liver. Symptoms seen in the first few days of life include seizures, vomiting, jaundice, cataracts, and hepatomegaly. Supportive lab findings include increased AST, ALT, and total bilirubin levels. Diagnosis is confirmed with increased galactose or galactose-1-phosphate levels in the blood, as well as non-glucose-reducing substances found in the urine, which is indicative of galactosuria. Since treatment is the dietary elimination of galactose, this is a contraindication to breastfeeding, and mothers are encouraged to transition to formula feeding. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. Hepatitis C infection is not a contraindication to breastfeeding, as there are no recorded cases of viral transmission through breast milk. Mothers with hepatitis C infection are therefore recommended to proceed with breastfeeding unless their nipples are ulcerated or bleeding due to the possibility of transmission through blood. Choice 3. History of mastitis is not a contraindication to breastfeeding and is an unlikely cause of the newborn's presentation. In fact, Women with active mastitis are encouraged to continue breastfeeding and expressing breast milk as tolerated. Choice 4. History of encyclidine use is not a contraindication to breastfeeding, although active substance use, such as with cocaine, heroin, or fencyclidine, is a contraindication due to concern for long-term neurobehavioral problems in the child. Choice 5. History of tuberculosis, when adequately treated, is not a contraindication to breastfeeding. Active, untreated tuberculosis infection, which presents with cough, night sweats, and unintentional weight loss, is a contraindication to breastfeeding. Finally, a bullet summary. Contraindications to breastfeeding in infants less than six months old include galactosemia, active substance use, such as with cocaine, heroin, or fencyclidine, active, untreated tuberculosis, and ongoing chemotherapy. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A two-month-old baby girl is brought to the clinic by her parents for a wellness checkup. 
she was born vaginally at home via a midwife at 38 weeks of gestational age without any complications. The mother denies any fevers, changes in feeding, or excessive crying. She is concerned that her baby doesn't smile much like her previous child. A physical exam demonstrates a well-developed baby who is following her growth curve appropriately. Her eye exam demonstrates bilateral white pupillary reflexes. Which of the following is the most likely to be deficient or abnormal in this patient? And the answer choices are choice 1, aldolase B, choice 2, fructokinase, choice 3, galactokinase, choice 4, galactose-1-phosphate uridyl transferase, or choice 5, retinoblastoma protein. The best answer to this question is choice 3, galactokinase. This patient likely has galactokinase deficiency as demonstrated by her bilateral infantile cataracts in the setting of healthy growth. Galactokinase deficiency is a disorder of galactose metabolism that is milder in presentation compared to its more severe form, classic galactosemia. The disease is due to a hereditary deficiency of galactokinase which leads to the accumulation of galactitol if galactose is present in the diet. The most common presentation involves bilateral infantile cataracts within the first few weeks to months of life. Parents may complain of the lack of tracking objects or developing a social smile. Other findings include galactosemia, which is galactose in the blood, and galactosuria, which is galactose in the urine. This is in contrast with classic galactosemia, where patients present with failure to thrive, jaundice, hepatomegaly, and sometimes sepsis in neonates. Of note, newborn screening programs within the United States all test for galactosemia. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Aldolase B deficiency is the pathophysiology of fructose intolerance, which presents with hypoglycemia, jaundice, cirrhosis, and vomiting due to the accumulation of fructose 1-phosphate. The symptoms are especially worse following the consumption of fruit, juice, or honey. Choice 2. Fructokinase deficiency is the pathophysiology of essential fructosuria, which is a benign, asymptomatic condition as fructose is not trapped in cells. Choice 4. Galactose 1-phosphate uridyl transferase deficiency is the pathophysiology of classic galactosemia, which can also present with infantile cataracts. However, patients also present with failure to thrive, jaundice, hepatomegaly, and intellectual disability. Choice 5. Retinoblastoma protein defect is the pathophysiology of retinoblastoma, which is the most common primary malignant intraocular cancer in children. Although patients present with leukocoria, it is often unilateral. Finally, a bullet summary. Galactokinase deficiency most commonly presents with infantile cataracts and is less severe compared to classic galactosemia. That's all for this review about galactosemia. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on medbullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. 
It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.